Hello and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent interviews on JM and the AM. Zach Rab of the Israel baseball team joined us. He's the Israel baseball team super fan. We had a fun discussion about the uh, Israel baseball team online store and many other things. Zach Rab, guest of mine on JM and the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, many of you know that I am a, I think I am at least, <laughs> until I spoke to the person we're about to speak to, <laughs> I thought I was one of the biggest Team Israel fans. <laughs> um, I don't know, after this conversation, you may determine that I'm really l way down on the list in terms of real fans, but anyway. Zach Rabb is with us live via telephone. He is the marketing manager for Team Israel Baseball Shop. Uh, TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Again, that's TeamIsraelBaseball.com. And uh, he's also been described, self-described, as a massive Team Israel Baseball super fan. Zach Rabb, welcome to JM in the AM. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for welcoming me on. I hope I don't drop you that far down on the list. <laughs> oh, that's my intention in the slightest. <laughs> believe me, uh, whether you intend or not, that's the inevitability here. Um, so I'm just trying to think. Team Israel, you said to me off the air that you've been to every World Baseball Classic game that Team Israel has participated in, right? That's correct. And that includes in countries like, what's the list of countries you've been in with Team Israel? So there have been 12 total World Baseball Classic games that Israel's participated in. The first ones, first three were in Jupiter, Florida, uh, back in 2012 when they tried qualifying for the World Baseball Classic, um, which for your listeners that aren't as familiar, it's basically the World Cup uh, of soccer, but for baseball. Right. Um, and that's the World Baseball Classic. And then in 2016, uh, I was in Brooklyn for, for three games, watching them actually qualify for the 2017 World Baseball Classic. And then... For the first time in my life, I ventured outside of Israel and America and flew to South Korea for three games in March 2017 and was having so much fun. And thankfully, my work gave me an extra week of vacation to extend my trip and go to Japan for an extra three games. So that's Jupiter, Florida, Brooklyn, South Korea, and Japan. Now, do I get, uh, do I get any points at all because I threw out the first pitch at the, at the, at the Brooklyn opener? Do I, get, do I at least get some credit for that? <laughs> You beat me on that. I've never thrown out a first pitch before in my life, so finally, I'm still waiting on that. <laughs> finally, I found something that, I, uh, that I've that i done that the super fan hasn't. So one second, our good friend Jordy Alter, who I know for longer than either he or I would ever admit, uh, I know that he travels with the team. Has he matched your record, or have you surpassed even someone like him? I, I mean, I, I'm not going to compete with Jordy. Jordy's amazing. He uh, certainly he does is. so much for the team. He he. He has uh, one thing on me. He's sat in the dugout during the World Baseball Classic as the equipment manager. Uh, right. I have yet to have been bestowed that honor, uh, so he definitely beats me in that. Yeah, I'm just wondering if he, you know, since 2012, like you, has been following the team like this and going to all the games and stuff. Now, th the reality is, and we'll get to the shop in a second, but the reality is that if not for COVID, you would have been, I assume, in Japan this past summer. Yeah, that was the plan. So so we were just talking about the World Baseball Classic. It feels like a lifetime ago, but in September 2019, Israel qualified for the Olympics, right? right. And, and I know you had Jordy on your show, sure. and, and you've talked about it many times. But I, was, I spent three weeks in Europe. It was actually my first time ever. Just like I said before, it was my first time in Asia. This was my first time in Europe. I booked a trip 
uh, straight to Germany, middle of nowhere Germany, spent two weeks in Germany watching uh, what at that point was the European Championship, which was the third step that Israel had to take right. to then qualify for the Olympics. The Olympic qualifier was uh, for one week in Italy. So I spent three weeks in Germany and Italy, middle of nowhere. Uh, I had never been there before. Um, so, so the, yeah, the plan after that, which was incredible in and of itself, was, yeah, I wanted to go to Tokyo uh, last July, and who knows, maybe it'll still happen. Uh, and the Olympics hopefully will, will happen. I mean, all signs are pointing towards they, they will be happening, but in terms of me being there this coming July, uh, I'm not against it. Oh, I know, I know that there's still they still have it on the schedule for this year. Is it, in fact, in July? Yeah, it's uh, end of July, beginning of August. Wow. I know there's been a lot of talk about either postponing again or canceling these Summer Olympics, which again were scheduled originally for the summer of 2020, but I don't know. They're holding steadfast, and they're they're hoping, I know, that athletes, coaches, and those involved will have the ability to move to the front of the line to get vaccinated and you know, hopefully, uh, you know, get get to a point where they could have a normal Olympics. Uh, honestly, the only reason I want a normal Olympics, the only reason I want this Olympics to take place, is because of Team Israel, because they're in it, <laughs> because they're in the they're in the baseball. You, you and me alike. <laughs> yeah, they're in the they're in the baseball competition. Zach Rab is with us live via telephone. So in Germany and uh, where did you say was it Italy? Germany and Italy. Italy. So yeah. I mean, were you the only one cheering for Team Israel? Were there hundreds of people who came? Were there I don't know a smattering of applause when something went well for Israel? What was, what was it like? There were some family members. There were some ah. people related to the, uh, the, you know, uh, associated with the Israel Association of Baseball. Right. There were a handful of Jews in Germany that came out to support. There were a handful of Jews in Italy that came out to support. I may have, if I'm not mistaken, I may have been the only person that, you know, invested in a crazy trip from America uh, to three weeks in Europe uh, on my own dime. Um, and, and was there at every single game in both countries. There were a few in a few games. There were there were some people that were there for a few games in Germany. There were some people that were there for a few games in Italy. But I'm pretty sure I was the only one. And and the team noticed me. The team appreciated it. It was a lot of fun. And <laughs> and I mean, do you get a chance to interact with some of the players? I would think with a small crowd like that following them around, you'd actually have a chance to, you know, to actually let them know how you feel about the way they're representing Israel. For sure, uh, I've gotten to know all the players. Thank God. Uh, it, it's been great. They've all been super kind to me. Um, all the Israel Association of Baseball people have been super kind to me whenever I'm around. They know that they can show up at a game and I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> they don't even have to think twice. Uh, but, yeah, I've gotten to know all the players, the coaching staff, the scouts, all been super kind, and, and they appreciate my passion because when you're in the middle of Germany or the middle of Italy or even back when they were in the middle of South Korea and Japan and, and a few of them got to know me then, and you're representing Israel, and, and there, uh, many of them are from America originally. It's hard to, to stay connected with that, with that vision of what, what you're trying to do by winning a lot of games and, and raising money to, to help grow baseball in Israel. But when they see me, it's sort of like a, they've told me this, and I'm not just saying this myself. They've told me that I've sort of been like a represent, representation of so many of the fans out there that are waking up in the middle of the night yeah. that are watching and cheering from home, and, and it just fires them up. So they do realize that me and my boys are hanging on every pitch, no matter what time it is, day or night. They, no, they, they do. They see me right by that fence, biting my nails off. But we're doing the same thing from thousands of miles away, you should know. 
and the, exactly. and I take great pride in you know tweet, tweeting tweeting a run or the end of an inning or the end of the game you know faster than anybody else if if possible just to show everybody that I'm thinking of Team Israel while they're on the road uh, representing Israel. Zach Rab is with us. Do they get the fact? And I, I know you get it for sure. Uh, and I know I get it. I got that feeling in me every single time when I see uh, the Yeshiva University Maccabees or Team Israel or anybody who has the Star of David representing our people on their uniform. Do they get the fact that they're not just representing Israel? Do they get the fact that they're representing the Jewish people as a whole? A hundred percent. I've spoken with so many of them. Um, and, and that's what's cool about me specifically also is that I lived in Israel for nine years, from 2010 to 2019, got involved with Israel baseball on the ground there. Plus, I grew up in South Florida in the Jewish community here. Uh, and so I have both perspectives. And from talking to me, I'm able to connect with them also on both perspectives, you know, representing the wider Jewish community in America and worldwide and representing those, those young Israel baseball players or even older Israel baseball fans um, or fans expats that now live in Israel that still wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning to watch baseball games and to just connect with their favorite sport, they get it totally. Um, every single one of them, I mean, at least all of the ones that all of the guys that I've spoken to and plus the coaching staff, they, they really, really get it and take so much pride in it. And uh, just to clarify, um, uh, it, it, it was your personal Aliyah, right? That was not with your parents. That was your own Aliyah, correct? I, yeah, I went on my own lived in Israel for, for nine years. At, straight after high school, yeshiva, university, university again, working. Um, it, was a, it was a pretty special nine years. And to, to go on this Israel baseball adventure, you know, World Baseball Classic, Olympic qualifiers, while I was living in Israel and while I was waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning to watch baseball games back from America, it, was, it made it extra, extra special for me and, and made me extra connected to watching an Israel team on a baseball field. Unbelievable. Uh, just to put everything in context, it's your father, Roni Rab, who uh, has hosted uh, Jewish radio down in South Florida for decades. And uh, even though I speak to him about once every 10 years, I still consider him a friend, frankly. So <laughs> that, that is my father, and, and I am a uh, Jewish music nut like yourself for, <laughs> since I was born. Uh, which is... I grew up in a radio station. And so that... this is very exciting to also get to talk to you and, and meet you. Well, the I, phone at least. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And, that. and that would be your uncle who wrote the book about being hijacked. That would be my uncle, David Rabb, yeah. And, uh, and, and that was a plane that your father was on, but your father was like a year or two old, right? Correct. My father, my oldest uncle, David, and three other siblings in between, plus my, my grandmother, who unfortunately passed away last year, were, oh, I'm sorry were all that. on that plane that were hijacked uh, back in Black September in 1970. We've, uh, the the Rab family name has has gotten around a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no question about. It. Plus, of course, I and now I have to toss this in as we play Jewish geography. Plus, of course, uh, David's daughter-in-law I know since she's a young lady. And that's Ayelet. So <laughs> that's my cousin. <laughs> that's your cousin. So there's a Both lot. Worlds. A lot, of, a lot of, a lot of connections here, to say the least. All right, Zach, I did promise you that we would get to the Team Israel shop. You have done an amazing job at um, at, at uh, telling us about how uh, the Team Israel and its coaches, players, etc., take great pride. No greater moment in the. I don't remember if this was in the documentary or if I just saw it in Brooklyn that night. I always said there was no greater moment for me than when Team Israel took off their caps during the national anthem. And there was no need for there to be kipot under those caps, but there were kipot 
under those caps. They they got what it is to represent the Jewish people. And I know that it sounds like a small gesture, but it's a really big one, and I'm sure it wasn't lost on you as well. No, that moment, I mean, I was there in person, and you can imagine the goosebumps that I got standing there in person, not just the first time, but every single time hearing the Hatikva. I've heard the Hatikva baseball games at various Jewish Heritage Days at Major League parks, but, but hearing it like that in, in South Korea and Japan when they put on the kippahs, um, and, and I'll tell you even something more special, they didn't, they didn't put on the, the kippahs during the National Anthem during the Olympic run. That was mainly a World Baseball Classic gesture, right. which was incredible uh, back in 2017. But right. when they played a game this past, well, in September 2019 in Germany against the Germany national team, it was, and they played the Hasikva there, and they played the national anthem, and everyone stood on the line and, and kept their hat on at least. And I stood there with my Israel World Baseball Classic keeper uh, in the bleachers, hearing that in Germany. I mean, that was goosebumps on goosebumps. That was amazing. I, and the players I, I, I realized it afterwards. I can't even, even imagine. I can't even imagine. I'm so glad that you appreciate this stuff because it's, it's so vital, so important. And for those who have the ability and it's such an important skill to look back and look to the future at the same time. And Jewish people have had that ability for quite a while. Uh, it is such a, a, such a momentous moment that you're able to appreciate where you are, what happened there, and what is in fact happening as uh, all this uh, pomp and circumstance of the national anthems is going on. Just unbelievable. Uh, how does one obtain the same type of Team Israel baseball kippah like you were wearing that day yeah so it's it's exciting i i've been dying for there to be israel baseball merchandise for so long uh i've noticed there was a lack for a while i can't tell you how many social media messages from friends and from random israel baseball fans around the world who reached out to me said where do we get israel baseball merch where do we get israel baseball merch we want to support far and wide i said okay i i have to help make this happen uh, I have an e-commerce. I have a marketing background. I said, let's let's try to help as much as I can. So uh, a year ago, uh, put the right people in touch, um, got a shop up and running, and more recently, I was brought on board officially to help revamp the website, make it a beautiful online shopping experience, uh, expand the product selection, uh, and and spread the word and just market the shop. Now that the Olympics are only a few months away, I Again, mean, yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and so the, the website that, that I completely overhauled is teamisraelbaseball.com. Um, you can literally get everything there now. We've made sure that I, I, my goal, <laughs> my goal and, and our goal, our collective goal, Israel Association, is, uh, Israel Association of Baseball's goal is that not a single person in the world who's watching Israel take the, take the field for a baseball game will ever say again, where on earth can I get Israel baseball merchandise? Everything is there. Shirts, hats, hoodies, shorts, kippas. We even have masks now. Uh, <laughs> you, can get, you can get like cute, uh, cute, cool designs or dry fit t-shirts if you want to work out and, and exercise. Literally everything we have. I mean, there's men's sizes, there's women's sizes, there's youth sizes. And ha- we have so many more surprises uh, coming over the next few months. So TeamIsraelBaseball.com. TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Six types of caps right now. TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Six types of caps. Three different types of keypoat. Five different types of hoodies. A bunch of t-shirts. Some with really interesting designs. Some are officially dry fit. 
um, shorts, as uh, as uh, Zach Rab said. And and one of the things I'm really happy to hear is that there are other crazy people like me who want this stuff. I mean, you you are. It sounds like you're hearing from a bunch of people, both young and old, who number one want to display this stuff and wear it proudly, and number two want to support the team because you can tell me unequivocally that every time someone shops at the teamisraelbaseball.com shop, they are supporting the team. Absolutely. We've seen so many pictures. I mean, sales have been incredible since I, since I took over and since I really started spreading words. Sales have been rising, and people have been so excited to now know that there is a shop existing. We just got a, a photo from someone in Italy yesterday, tagged us on Twitter, and he bought, I think, six items, a, a bunch of shirts, a hat, a hoodie, posted a picture from, from his place in Italy saying it all arrived, it's all beautiful, supporting Israel baseball. I can't tell you how much of a smile that brings to my face. I mean, we see people all across America. I mean, we ship to Israel also. We ship internationally. So there are guys, people in Israel getting a ton of stuff too, and not just American Jews who are right. baseball fans, but who, also fans in Israel. And it, it's who so de- much fun. Who designed the matzah baller T-shirt? Yeah, so I'm so happy you mentioned that. That was the last thing I wanted to make sure to mention because I really think your listeners and just any Jew, any Jewish American or any Jew anywhere who loves baseball will love that shirt. We worked so hard over the month of February to design that shirt. That Honestly, that design came from my head one morning, the beginning of February. This light bulb came into my head. I mocked up a design, sent it to, to a, a professional sports illustrator. We got it ready in a few weeks, got it uploaded, and it's available. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful combination. It's, it's super cool, honestly, of these baseballs floating in, in matzo ball soup uh, and I, I, my goal with that design and with making that shirt and getting it up with a, with a month to go before, before Pesach was just, I mean, if you want a baseball shirt, if you want a shirt to wear on Pesach or all year round, honestly, you can eat matzo ball soup all year round. It's actually, baseball season specifically coincides with Pesach. Yeah, so it's actually it's a great, it's a, it's a great Holomoy t-shirt now that you mentioned exactly, it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you love it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Trust me. Uh, all right. Zach Rabb invites everybody to check out TeamIsraelBaseball.com. TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Uh, place your orders. You'll be supporting the team, and please God, please God. And I know some of you are like, what? This is what you're praying for? Yeah, I think it's important that they play in the Olympics and that the Olympics take place and they represent to Israel and the Jewish people the way they've been doing in all these international competitions over the last few years. It's really tremendous. Pro- I'm sure you saw the documentary, right? Uh, yeah, I was in the documentary. Are you in it? <laughs> are you in the documentary? If you watch it again and you look, keep an eye out, I, I told you, I've, I've been everywhere. It was inevitable. It wasn't like I was featured in the documentary, but I was I was there. I'm like that that hallway guy that has a uh, an IMDb page just for being in the background of a movie. <laughs> that was me a bunch of times. <laughs> oh, is that funny? Now I think I really have to watch it again. You have to alert me to to what scene it is. I I, I was celebrating when Jordy was reading the Megillah in the dugout. So <laughs> imagine how happy I'll be to see you in that documentary. Yeah, I'm- I'm toward the beginning during the qualifier round in Brooklyn, and then there's one scene with me and Cody Decker uh, when they were visiting Israel and, and making the uh, HMSH field dedication. Well, now you, uh, I'm now pretty you, sure that's where I was. Now you see you outdid me because my first pitch didn't make it into the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they, they did interview me, and unfortunately that didn't make it into the documentary. That would have been 
extra cool if, if my actual interview made it into the documentary. And it is such uh, a great movie. I don't have the name of it in front of me. It's such it's, a great it's called, movie. It's called Heading Home. Heading it's Home, available right. Team Israel. It's, Heading it's, Home. It's available everywhere. It's it, available it, iTunes, everybody, Amazon, you, you name it. It, it, it has. So, I mean, if you have an open mind, folks, it has so much Jewish pride in it. So many amazing references to our tradition and our people, and you just see a bunch of guys that just want to go out there, have a good time, and know in the back of their minds that they're representing Israel and the Jewish people while they're on the field. Heading Home is the name of the documentary. We featured it a million times here in conversations, and when we went to see it, I went to see it in the theater. We were so happy with the result. It was so good. Anyway. It, it was much, it's my new favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> so dress, dress the part, everybody. Dress the part. Of a uh, of a, a true Team Israel fan, TeamIsraelBaseball.com, TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Zach Rab is the marketing manager for Team Israel. Zach, thank you. Keep us up to date on all of this, please. You got it, Nelson. Thank you so much, and, and thank you to all of your listeners who, who support Team Israel. Whether you shop or not, just, just keep supporting because it's going to be a wild ride come July. It's certainly, yeah, please, God, whenever this Olympics finally takes excuse me, finally takes place, it will be amazing to see Israel take the uh, take the field. Really will be amazing. More coming up. You're listening to a Thursday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Zach Rabb. Next up, Fagy Murray. My Pesach kitchen is named for book. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio, and order the book by Fagy Murray. You'll uh, enjoy this interview with her. She was a recent guest on JM the AM. Here she is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Thursday morning here at JM the AM. Reminder that our friends at artscroll.com have a promo code radio. Promo code radio. When you're ordering the brand new Uncle Maishi book or the brand new Rabbi Yechiel Spiro book or the Uncle Maishi CD or the brand new cookbook by Fagy Murray, you want to make sure to go to artscroll.com and you want to make sure to use promo code radio. When you use promo code radio, you get it. You get your discount plus you get your free shipping. How amazing is that? Yeah, I would say pretty amazing, frankly. Uh, Fagy Murray, who... Um, who on Instagram uh, is uh, my kitchen, my studio? Um, is um, a popular recipe developer and food blogger, and her goal is to make sure that this Pesach your food is spectacular and delicious, and that you are relaxed and able to enjoy it. Uh, as I've said more than once. Uh, <laughs> As I've spoken about this book on the air, the book is called My Pesach Kitchen, and then it says as a subtitle, Stress-Free Recipes Your Family Will Love, Recipes and Photos by Fagy Murray. How on earth does someone dare put stress-free and Pesach <laughs> in the same context? <laughs> We're going to ask her that question. Uh, Fagy Murray, the brand-new book is called My Pesach Kitchen. She's with us live via telephone. A pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you, thank you. It is a huge honor, and I'm so excited to be here. Totally fangirling you. Um, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> that makes the conversation even more fun. Now I'm gonna I'm I'm going to ask you the question that I have really put out there more than once this week here on the air. How dare? How does someone dare put the words Pesach and stress free on the same cover? <laughs> Oh, I dear, and I've challenged myself to do it, and I've 
proved year after year that when I made Pesach that it doesn't have to be stressful. It doesn't have to be. You don't have to make yourself crazy. And if you do it right and you plan properly, whether you're a last-minute type person or you're the type of person that's been planning Pesach for six months already, it can be done. If you flip very quickly through my book, you see the recipes are not hard. You're not scratching your head trying to figure out if the ingredients are actually English or not. It's stuff that you use. It's stuff that you're comfortable with. But even more so, I have an entire chapter on how to prepare for Pesach. Yeah. What to do, how to break down your kitchen, how to what to clean, what not to clean. And list after list I put into the book that we allowing you to copy even. I, you know, that's a big deal. Take your book, photocopy the list, share it with friends, write things down, and I really just break everything down for you, how to make it easy, how it, that it shouldn't be stressful. And it yeah. doesn't have to be. Yeah, the, the section that you just described is really in two sections of the book. In addition to the recipes, uh, you have this step-by-step notes, as you just said, uh, to making Pesach, and that includes the advanced prep and items that you need to purchase. And I'm not talking about, you know, food items. I'm telling you, you write, you write here masking tape and uh, Seder accessories, napkins and tablecloths, and many others, of course. And I'm sure that somewhere on this list there's aluminum foil, unless you're just assuming that that's, that that's something that, that everybody has ready for right, Pesach. <laughs> rolls and rolls of aluminum foil. And then you talk about cleaning and turning over the house. Um, the menu planning and shopping, and then, of course, the list that you just alluded to that's that's more toward the back of the book where you uh, give everybody a uh, a perspective of the different things they're going to have to add to their regular uh, grocery shopping list, and then you provide a calendar, which gives, uh, obviously, you know, on the Jewish calendar, because this way it can be used year after year, uh, that gives everyone a perspective of how many days they need in advance to do all of this, uh, plus a list that... Uh, uh, in my opinion, might be the most valuable, um, which is a, a page dedicated uh, uh, to allowing people to write down what they may need uh, for you know subsequent Pesachs after having been through this experience. Well, before we get to the recipes, Fagi Murray, tell me about the calendar. Like, I don't know, today's March fourth. Is that is that too early to get ready for a Saturday night? March 27th Pesach? Like, what should people be doing right now? Because, you know, if, if you tell us now that there's something we should be doing, that might cause a little bit of additional stress. Right. So there's the planning doesn't always necessarily mean that you're on your hands and knees scrubbing or that you're knee-deep in 65 cans of potatoes. Planning could simply mean having a conversation with your family. Hey, guys, Pesach is coming up. Any food suggestions? What do you want to... What do you want to eat? What should we put on the menu? And, you know, I had this conversation with my kids, with my family that comes to me every single year. And the kids go, oh, my last year you made this pastrami potato bowl that was so good. Could you make it? And I throw it onto my list. It's more just these, like, this, since Purim and up till probably next week, it's really just getting in that frame of mind, thinking about what you're going to want to do for Pesach, what you're going to want to eat, pulling some, you know, cookbooks. Obviously, you're going to only need mine. <laughs> um, just kind of getting into the frame of Pesach mode or even doing things, running errands out of the kitchen that when you need to be in the kitchen that week before Pesach, you're not busy buying your kids their socks and their suits and their hats and whatnot that they need. You want to do those things now so that those weeks right before Pesach, you don't have to worry about those things. And that's what takes the stress out of it, that you're really 
organizing yourself now these next few weeks that right. when you're supposed to be knee deep in the kitchen, you know, oh my gosh, my son still needs shoes. All right. You know, it's funny because uh, on your first point about, you know, having that discussion, you know, there's certain things that everybody in the family is responsible for. So I've already had that discussion with people in my family about how those cases of grape juice and seltzer and soda and other things are going to get into the apartment and, you know, where they're going to be stored and how many do we need, et cetera. And then, of course, that conversation is going to turn to eggs and potatoes and, exactly. un- you know, everything else that, that we need in bulk and everything else that the the men in my house are traditionally responsible for, you know, gathering up and schlepping in. Uh, so that's that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, last year, 2020 your cookbook may be you know like perfect timing because last year 2020 those who ended up staying home you know there was a limit to how much preparation they could make for Pesach if you remember you know shul's closed already the Shabbos after Purim and you turn around and it's like you know I don't know how to do this but I just got to try my best and that's it now people who've decided to stay home they would have done so months ago now they have, you know, the ability to look at the calendar, to plan accordingly, to take the advice of someone like yourself of when to do what and how, you know, at what pace to go. So this book might be most valuable for this year. Right, right, which I'm very excited for. I mean, last year when we, when we were all home, you know, I had so many people turning to me and going, Figgy, I, I need help. I need guidance. So right. I literally one night, you know, I pulled an all-nighter and I threw together an ebook. Um, super unprofessional, literally just copy and pasted whatever recipes I have that I thought were, you know, good for Pesach. And I dumped it into an ebook. And I, we, um, my husband and I actually own, I launched a spice company um, last year called Union Spice Blend. So we had the website for that. And I just put it on there as a landing page for somewhere, you know, for people to download it. It was downloaded thousands and thousands of times. Wow. Um, besides for me putting it on Instagram and I got, it went everywhere. It literally went viral. And that's kind of like what was the segue to get me to get the idea of me to put out a Pesach book. Right. Because I saw that I was able to help so many people. And, you know, even though if you think about it, a Pesach book is somewhat limiting because it is a Pesach book. I realized that I could help so many people and inspire so many people. Well, that, that was, I, that was, was, you know, it just makes sense. Well, that was a great idea. It made a lot of sense. That was a great idea. By the way, the spice, the spices, are they Kushal Pesach or not? No, they are not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thought they might be, but uh, all right. So, so you got plenty to do both Pesach time and you, have pl- pl- and you have plenty to do year round, to say the least. Exactly. <laughs> Faggy Murray is with us live via telephone. The book is called My Pesach Kitchen. It's brand new. Remember, our friends at ArtScroll offer a uh, major discount and free shipping when you use promo code radio for anything, including Faggy Murray's brand new book. All right, we're going to get to the recipes. And traditionally, you know, when I have a uh, cookbook author on the air, we take one or two from each section if possible. Uh, you know, I, 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 I took a look at the appetizers. And with everything that you did, you have a lot of great dips there, a lot of great appetizers, some of which I think people will be shocked. You could actually, you know, make really well and good tasting for um, – for Pesach, including you know the breaded eggplant and things like that that you're making, uh, with the word breaded obviously in uh, in quotation marks. But I had to stop at the lamb and baba ganoush. What an amazing combination! I never considered. How do you think of that one? Um, I made it one year years ago as a hummus stick version, um, similar almost to like I did it like a hummus basar kind of thing, mm. but I wanted it like I just wanted a little bit of a twist, and I was trying to figure out how to do it. And I just kind of like playing around with recipes. And my family loves eggplant, loves baba ganoush. And I just kind of like literally just playing around. And I just came up with this idea. 
And my family went crazy over it. And I said, you know what? I have to, I have to put this in. And I don't know. I feel like lamb and Pesach just go together. So <laughs> I always try to like have some sort of recipes with lamb, um, you know, but in that particular recipe, I gotta if get... you don't like lamb or it's hard to get a hold of, you could totally swap it out right. and use ground beef or chicken or whatever. Right. Yeah. I was actually thinking of ground chicken for that. Uh, by the way, I, I, I mean, you, if I read this correctly, I'm assuming you are the photographer who took all the pictures in the book, right? Yes, okay. I am. So you have an expertise not only in cooking but in photography as well. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the reason I point that out is because one of my favorite pictures, page 28, I don't think there is a better photo of how uh, how hand shmura matzah and chopped liver would go together. I mean, I would I will tell you right now, if I had that in front of me, it would not last very long, frankly, that entire bowl. <laughs> so I just, thank I, you, thank I, you, yeah. What did I say? A picture's worth a thousand words, right? You certainly captured it in that one. Haro says, thank you. Your, your grandmother's haro says, is as simple as apples, walnuts, red wine, and cinnamon. That's it, four ingredients, huh? That's it. A lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of people get more complicated when it comes to charosis, but you, you kept it very simple. This is how she made it for years and years. Uh, we moved to the salads. I'll point out the roasted cauliflower salad in general. Roasted cauliflower, I think people are enjoying more and more, and we find it a lot more, uh, uh, you know, yes. on our Shabbos and Yontif tables. I mean, nothing too uh, complicated making this kosher pesach, right? Right, a hundred percent. Like you know, a lot of my recipes, I make a lot of the recipes in this book, I make year round simply right. because it's good, solid food that you know I, I, I serve to my family on a year round basis. When I was actually testing all these recipes, my daughter was like, "Ma, we're eating pesach in October." <laughs> I said, "It's chicken, <laughs> you know, it's a salad, it's fish, it's food that I serve to you on a regular basis." And you know, she's like, "Huh, I never thought of it that way." Right. Uh, page 70 uh, in your soup section, an amazingly thick tomato soup. I pointed out because I love tomato soup and I love thick soup. So I assume those are tomatoes floating in there, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Smear some cream cheese on your masa, dip it into the soup. The cream cheese will melt a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Absolute heaven. Yeah, that's a that's a good one to say the least. Uh, and then when it comes to uh, uh, some of the uh, fish dishes, the Moroccan tilapia, the tuna burgers. I mean, again, as you pointed out, these are things that you know generally you would serve all year round. But you're just showing everybody how they could use uh, these you know recipes or similar recipes for Pesach, and you know really provide what people are used to in their family without any you know without any major changes. A hundred percent. What's a potato kugel chicken? I know what potato kugel is, and I know what chicken is. What's this potato kugel chicken? So, as mentioned in the little blurb um, before the recipe, my friend served this to me on an Arab Yom Kippur, and I, it's we serve chicken every single week, and we serve potato kugel every single week. Right. I, I and when she served this together, she brought it to the table in a beautiful oven to table dish. I couldn't stop staring at it and eating it and marveling at it. And she's like, Faggy, it's just potato cocoa and chicken. I'm like, but it's so brilliant. <laughs> and I've been making it ever since. And I just it's and it's just one of those recipes that my followers love. It went viral and every time I make it to and serve it to guests that have never seen it before, they're like, What's this? Oh my gosh, brilliant. I I guess it's sort of like a yap chick swapping out the meat for chicken, right? I mean I guess. Yeah, kind of. But yeah, this chicken like... when this when it cooks and the juices from the chicken run into the cobalt. It's just so incredible. And on the subject of Yapchik, 
Many, many of us wonder, can we go eight days without it? You say no need. Page 140, tell me about the Fagy Murray Yapchik recipe. It's there. It's, you know, my, my Yapchik has gone on a very long journey. I've, <laughs> I, you know, really tested and retested and made a 2.0 and a 3.0. And my boys love it and they look forward to it. And usually my, I make, I save my Yapchik when there's a shot of calamite. That's when I make it. And I actually, one year, my sister-in-law, there was a shot of calamite and my sister-in-law was debating whether she should come or not or see by her parents. And she's like, wait a second, are you making your yapstick? I'm like, yep, it's time to come. Let's forget it. Done. We're coming. <laughs> uh, tell me the truth. Do you make that yapstick on a typical Thursday night? Are the boys gathered around enjoying that on a Thursday evening? Nope. I save it for young guests. <laughs> like, you know, or let's say a Shabbat Hanukkah where I'm having tons of guests or something, but I really try to save it for us. Uh, Faggy, that's outrageous. In certain neighborhoods, they say it's a requirement to eat Yapchik Thursday night. Don't you know that? <laughs> well, my boys usually go out. <laughs> they're, still, they're still pretty young, but, they're, they're, you know, they, they, they like to go out with, the, with their friends Thursday night. They're eating someone else's Yapchik on Thursday night. <laughs> exactly. All right, y'all right, tolerate that. That's not bad. Uh, desserts and sweets, yes, you can make a delicious apple cake and fantastic biscotti and unbelievable brownie. I'm always impressed with people who come up with great brownies for Pesach, frankly. Anything special about this recipe or uh, is it very similar to what you normally do? It's similar to what I normally do, and to me what's special about it is that it's not complicated. You're not separating 7,000 eggs. You're not doing a million different things. Your kids, you know, your 10-year-old daughter can easily make these recipes. That's really very, very much my goal throughout the book again and again, that they're good, solid recipes that the boys will want to eat, you know, young this afternoon, and the girls will want to nosh on, and the mothers will want to eat in the morning, like just recipes that, Really family-friendly across the board. And frankly, uh, with all the Pesach kitchen lists and the uh, Pesach in the kitchen introduction that you have, which is very helpful, pages and pages about preparing for the holiday and what you might need, I think one of the, Do you have the book in front of you? By, not to put you on the spot, but do you have the book in front of you by any chance? I have the PDF in front of me. Because if you look at your table of contents, I honestly believe, I'm not joking when I say this, one of the best lists in this book is at the bottom of the right side of the table of contents. When you go, when you, yes. when you, you know what I'm about to say, right? I, I'm sure you, you. I do. I do. You have a, I'm smiling from ear to ear. You, you can't see me, but I'm you smiling have, from you, ear to ear. You have a list of 15 Cholhamoe dishes. And frankly, not that I could speak to this because I'm not usually in charge of the kitchen in my house, but I could only imagine the way people crave. Meals on Cholamoid, that this is a very important list for those who just haven't thought of different things they can make for a lunch or a dinner during Cholamoid. Yes, 100%. And that's really where the inspiration came from. It comes to us, comes to Pesach. People come to me and they're like, hey, we just cooked a ton for young kids. I can't <laughs> right. think about Cholamoid help. Right. And people's brain just shuts down. And I've had the same issue as well. And I was like, you know what? I am making a Cholamoid. Um, section and it starts with breakfast. I've got pancakes in there. I've got chakshuka in there, and it moves on. I have poutine in there. I have matzo pizza in there. Really, things that you want to serve on Cholamite, and I move on to fish bowls and meats and good hearty salads. I have a delicious burger salad in there. Things that you look at and go, oh, hey, I want to. You know, this is great for Cholamite. Like it just really gets your creative juices flowing. But more so, I tell you how to prepare things. If you're planning on going away for the day, is to make the sauce the night right. before. 
or to just prepare it and slide it into the oven or slow cook it so that you could go away on a trip. Everybody comes home exhausted. I don't know about you, but whenever we come home from a trip, the men are flying out to Seoul. Right. The ladies have to deal with exhausted kids, and I just really made recipes that are just friendly for the day, friendly for the family, and to make it work. The list of Holomoy dishes Pancakes, shakshuka, a cheese board, poutine, twice-baked potatoes, blackened fishbowl, shawarma, pulled beef fries, which looks amazing, by the way, burger salad, chicken and sausage, Esty Lamb's chicken, a tip of the hat to Esty, pepper steak, pulled barbecue chicken, ground chicken skewers, and shepherd's pie. And that is a very value, even without the recipes, that's a valuable list, <laughs> in my opinion. Thank you. 15, Thank good, you. 15 good recommendations to make for a starving family when you have no idea what to make. <laughs> as simple as that. Um, and, and as I pointed out, you are the photographer. You were uh, uh, you took all these pictures. And, uh, you know, look, over the last 10 years or so, maybe even more, uh, we've been told about just how, por- how important it is to have unbelievable photographs in cookbooks, uh, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, it's pretty cool that you were able to do that end of this book and, of course, the uh, the uh, author end of the book. Yes, well, a huge shout-out to my father, who's been a photographer for probably 40, 50 years already. Oh, wow. And he taught me a lot. He's really taught me a lot in the photography world, and he's just guided me throughout. And I just I love picking up the camera. I love taking pictures. I'm very visual. I love to, you know see things and make it and make it real and inspire people to make it for themselves. Well, it's really cool. The book is called My Pesach Kitchen, Stress-Free Recipes Your Family Will Love. And yes, as author Fagi Murray told us, you can put on the same cover the words Pesach and Stress-Free, believe it or not. A lot of great sections and bonus sections, as we pointed out, with step-by-step notes and tips about how to make Pesach and a special Holomoid section with a lot of great creative cooking ideas, as I mentioned Every one of the recipes in this book are gluten-free, except for the matzo bowl recipes, and there are a lot of practical hacks and creative tips to keep your prep and cooking seamless. In some cases, very, very few ingredients, very, very few steps, but great results. Fagi, I want to wish you a mazel tov on the book. I thank you thank so much you. for joining us this morning, and uh, continued success and a very happy Chag Kasher V'Sameach. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. What an honor. I appreciate that very much. Fagi Murray is author of My Pesach Kitchen. Right now, our friends at Artscroll.com, they've gone crazy over at Artscroll.com. If you use promo code radio for any of the new books, for Fagy Murray's My Pesach Kitchen, for the Uncle Maishi book, for the Rabbi Spiro book, or any of the thousands of titles on the website, amazing discount plus free shipping if you use promo code radio. Take advantage and enjoy. That was my conversation with Fagy Murray, author of the book, My Pesach Kitchen. Ronnie Timzit is up next, general manager of the Inbal Hotel. They are opening up on the 25th of March, which is amazing news. The Inbal in Yerushalayim, just before Pesach. Here's my conversation with Ronnie Timzit of the Inbal Hotel on a recent edition of JM in the AM. Here it is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, well, one of the things we are most concerned about, and I don't think that's a uh, an exaggeration, I think it's 100% accurate, is when we can get back to Israel and when we could start encouraging our listeners to plan trips to Israel. And uh, when will the New York-Tel Aviv corridor open up again so that we can visit, send our children although I give credit to the schools that were able to open with the uh, with the young people from here. 
uh, over this school year. Um, when will things? And, and of course, one of the most important signs that Israel is opening up is if the hotels reopen. And when we heard last week that there is an actual date for the Inbal Hotel, the Inbal, our amazing and incredible home away from home, our amazing and incredible headquarters in Jerusalem, the Inbal Hotel. And we heard last week that the Inbal had a date for reopening. We said, oh, we might finally have a positive sign in terms of things improving uh, regarding uh, opening things up in Israel and uh, for travel to Israel for us. Roni Timzit is the general manager at the Inbal Hotel in Jerusalem. He's with us live via telephone. Roni, shalom, shalom. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Shalom, Nachum. What a pleasure to talk with you. It is a pleasure to speak with you, sir. (laughs) I mean, let's just... We feel so much the absence of our friends from abroad, uh, but we are optimistic that uh, it will happen in the near future. Yeah. And you've been, uh, to your credit, you've been very optimistic throughout this entire thing. And just to review with everybody, uh, the hotel basically closed a year ago, and and, and there was a, there was a short period of time when it was reopened. Am I right? Yes, we were reopened from the 18th of June to right. the 18th of September. Right. So summer, you were open, and we we were the first one to announce that we are coming back on the 18th of June. Uh, yes, we we believe that uh, we have uh, to move with the. With the economy of the pay of the country, with our employees, we we need to make things happen, and that's why we, at the first time, announced uh, we are the first one to announce that we are reopening, and we are also from the first one to announce that we are reopening before Passover. Right now, uh, the the official announcement was March twenty sixth, March twenty fifth. What was the official date that you're reopening? 24th. 24th? March 24th. So that's the Wednesday. That's the Wednesday before Pesach. Now, some people might think that it would be a better idea either to wait till after Pesach or to, you know, why is the 24th a good date for the Inbal to reopen? It's to reopen with Pesach, to say this is the beginning again. It's like it was the beginning again from the, from the Am Israel. Uh, it's uh, the beginning again for uh, for us to to get back to Israel, coming back. Israel is well on its way to become the first uh, world uh, country vaccinated. Right. So we are back, and uh, that's right. That uh, effectively we will not be. We don't want to fill the hotel to to uh, completely. We want to to keep the health of our guests. It's, uh, it's almost uh, priority. Uh, we are taking care that our employees uh, will be all vaccinated. Uh, we are. Uh, uh, we believe that this is the beginning. Most of the. We believe that the tourists will come back perhaps at the end of the of the summer and uh, for uh, Sukkot. All right now. Uh, but I think we have to get back to 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 keep our uh, good health of our employees and to to move again. So the way things are going in Israel, we're speaking to Roni Timzit, general manager at the Inbal in Yerushalayim. They've they've announced reopening for the twenty fourth 
of March, which is the the Wednesday before Pesach. Pesach begins that Saturday night. So, uh, um, uh, so right now, I mean, obviously, you're not going to see any Americans over Pesach. But have you gotten a reaction from the people in Israel? Are people booking the inbal for Pesach? First, you know, we are there is a big American community here in right. Jerusalem and That's in Israel, true. right? And right. there are a lot of our Israeli clients. So we will have Americans in the hotel, but uh, not our friend from the boat. Right. But, you know, everybody has somebody here that is uh, from the family. <laughs> Part of them will be here. And uh, we are happy to, to give this. Uh, it's important that we, we are getting back to normal. And how, and how hard is it to reopen now? If you've been closed since September, I mean, and with Pesach, I mean, would it have been easier to reopen when it's not Pesach? Or once you're reopening already, it, it makes very little difference that it's Pesach. The, the, the difference, I'm not opening on the 18th, because we, we, we wanted to open Kasher for Pesach right. from the beginning. Right. And uh, we didn't want to do a, a double opening. Uh, and that will uh, make us more prepared for our guests coming for uh, Passover. Uh, uh, the employees uh, get back today. Today everybody is here and cleaning and preparing and thinking about how to, to make things uh, happen and the buffets, uh, how they will look, etc., etc. Uh, reordering food, uh, uh, checking that everything is okay in the system, and bringing back a, a big building to, to life. So now, no more lockdowns, right? I mean, that, that's the hope. The hope is that once you reopen on the 24th of March, the way Israel's going, that's it. The inbound will, as Ratashem, be open forever. I, I, I shut up. I don't say anything. <laughs> good, good point. <laughs> what uh, you know, are you bringing to us? <laughs> you know, you know, you're right. That's a good point. You don't know what the next day will bring these days. But you're hope, you're hoping, you're hoping that this will be it. Yeah, you're hoping. I believe, I believe sincerely that this is definitely the last one. Right. Uh, we are at another already five million people are uh, vaccinated here, so that's more than half of the country. Uh, 90% of old people, and old people is people uh, above 60 years old here. That's what they call old people. That's a problem for me, but it's, this is what they call old people. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I just went through. <laughs> so uh, uh, these people are 90% of them are vaccinated. So right. we, we see that the possibility to have people uh, uh, being very sick is going down and down and right. down. All right, Ronnie Timzit is with us, general manager at the, at the Inbound. Okay, so you won't see us for Pesach, and I think most American Jews are finally, uh, you know, g- are, are finally, you know, reaching that understanding that they're not traveling for Pesach. Do you think just again, and, and you don't have any inside information? I understand that, but just based on the avira, based on the atmosphere, do you think American Jews? will be able to come to Israel and to your hotel for Shavuot? I have some doubt. Uh, there will be, I think, after Pesach, there will be some thinking about giving to people that are vaccinated right. or uh, passing, uh, vaccinated for sure that they will be able to, to come, I believe. Uh, the big story is 
we have a big laboratories that they did in the in the airport. Will they use it? Because for the time being, they didn't use it really. Right. Because basically, people uh, uh, going through a local here uh, uh, check should go in. We hope that this is will, this will happen. I do not believe that uh, psychologically the government will be ready to do that. Uh, before Shavuot. Right, they want to go forward and not back, and that's the testing center you're referring to at the airport. Without, You don't have to name any names. I'm just curious. Are there other hotels opening for Pesach, or the Inbal is a real exception? Yes, yes. There is uh, a few. Uh, almost all the five-star are opening for Pesach. Oh, interesting. Who would have believed? Not almost. All the five-star. All the five-star hotels. Uh, I'm speaking about uh, the one of the area of the, the center of the city. They are all opening Amaz- for the time being. Amazing. I really wonder what their capacity will. What's your capacity like? Do you have to have only a certain percentage of rooms filled because of COVID, or you can go to 100% if you wanted I, to? I can do whatever uh, we want because for the uh, we will accept only by law. We can accept only vaccinated people right. or people that were uh, sick and, and they are not anymore, they recover. And for kids, the kids will have to do a check 48 hours because, uh, before coming into the hotel. Right. Now, you know, the last time we were in the hotel was January, the first Shabbat of 2020, uh, 14 months ago. Literally, the first Shabbat of 2020 was the last time. We stayed at the Inbal. Uh, I never thought we wouldn't see you again for at least 14 months. Um, will we see the same staff? Ronnie, were you able to hold on to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the veteran staff members that we're very familiar with for all these decades and the newer staff who we were becoming familiar with? Is it going to be the same faces when we get to the Inbal eventually? So today we brought back 60 people. They are all people that were here a year ago. Wow. Uh, and uh, I believe that we'll have to, to, to change few. The, the young people that were here for a short period, the guys that were uh, study, uh, students and now they finish already their, their studies, <laughs> etc. But, uh, uh, but the, the stuff that you were used that you know, you will find them here. Wow. And it is in the front office, and it is in the housekeeping, and even people that you don't know, like the stewards, etc. All the team leaders, managers, assistant managers, they are all coming back. All coming back. Amazing. Really amazing. No, yes. No, no one person is not coming back. Unbelievable. Ronnie Timzit is the general manager at the Inbal Hotel in Jerusalem. The 24th of March, which is three weeks from this Wednesday, they will reopen. They'll be open for Pesach and Bezrat Hashem, open for a very long time after that. Now, you know, Ronnie, you just you said earlier in this conversation that you hope to see the Americans. If you don't see them for Shavuot, you hope to see them by the end of the summer. Uh, you know it's a very early Tisha B'Av, the, the vacation season for the— uh, uh, for for your community here in America is going to be from the end of July uh, until Labor Day, until the beginning of September. So please, God, you'll be at full strength, and that will be at full strength by then, because that could be a very, very important summer season for you. Hopefully, we'll have tourists. 
<laughs> yeah, hopefully he's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to take this opportunity to wish you a Chag Kasher V'Sameach. I, 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 I assume you are at least as thrilled as we are <laughs> about this reopening. Because when we heard the news, we felt it's not just the Inbal reopening. It is finally an acknowledgement by the people in Israel, hopefully around the world, that it's time to really make our best effort to get this world back to normal as soon as possible. So now you answer the best way to your first question, why we are reopening. Oh. <laughs> and that is to get back to normal as soon as possible. That's, that's it. Simple that's as it. that. Chag Kasher and thank you so much. I, can't, I, can't, I, can't, I, I cannot wait to see you. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm too. And I'm we too. and we will continue to remind our listeners how amazing you've always been to us. Kolakavod, best to the entire staff, and again, Chag Sameach. Darabah, Ronnie. Fantastic. Bye bye. There he is, Ronnie Timzit, is the general manager at the Inbal Hotel. Wow, it it is so great that they're reopened. It's unbelievable that they're open the Wednesday before Pesach. And what will hopefully be not unbelievable, what will hopefully be believable, is that they will remain open from that point forward. Please, God. And that goes for all the hotels and all the buses and the tours and the drivers and the um, tourist attractions and the sites and the guides. Everybody should be back at full strength in Israel, ASAP. The taxis. Everybody should be back at full strength in Israel and everywhere, ASAP. And as you heard, I mean, we're taking a little bit of a risk. We're putting a, a trip on our calendar before the summer. We, we are taking a little bit of a risk. We are going to try to schedule a trip to Israel before the summer. Not yet. It's not like we're going before Pesach, but we're trying to get there, you know, before the summer. Um, but if, uh, if you're, if we're not able to do that at the minimum, we hope that we'll be able to be there in the period of time we just spoke about. Um, I think the, I think Tisha B'Av is Sunday, the 19th of July or the 18th of July, something like that. And I think once, um, once that milestone Tisha B'Av 5781 has passed, I think a lot of people, yeah, it's the 18th of July. I think a lot of people are going to be anxious to, uh, to travel and include Israel on their itinerary. Please, God. That was my conversation with Ronnie Timzit, general manager of the Inbal Hotel. Thanks so much for tuning in to JM Rewind. Plenty more coming up. If you keep it on NSN, the Nahum Siegel Network.